AT&T ThreatTrack is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by AT&T data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com. Today, as a user, you know, we all have a digital footprint, so we all play a role in the overall cybersecurity scheme of things. So it's important for us to up our awareness, you know, read more on, you know, sort of cybersecurity essentials and hygiene, right? You shouldn't be downloading, you know, freeware on your devices without, you know, really going through and testing it out to make sure it doesn't cause any other malicious intent. Adware is something that users today, you know, use as part of, you know, their utility operations within their machines. And once that is downloaded, you know, there is a Chinese company that produces this adware and associated with that is this think of it like an offloading packet where you have an other malicious software that is running in the background and that can be used to cause you know larger damage later on if it falls in the wrong hands but this particular organization digital marketing firm in china uh, has a number of different uh, adware um, packages that are kind of all rolled up into this fireball family uh, that have been installed on about 250 million machines globally. It's kind of hard to defend against something that is now installed on 250 million devices, right? I mean, it's, it means that they're, they found ways to get it onto people's devices even when they don't want it there. <laughs> now, that number is certainly you know, alarming, but what's more alarming is that uh, the behavior of this adware family has really evolved, evolved over the past year or so um, in order to really leverage a lot of features that are more commonly found in things like banking trojans and other types of backdoors or utilities. And you know, aside from capturing the, the user's browser, redirecting that to uh, their own um, kind of uh, search engine portals, which are feeding up uh, results from the Google and Yahoo affiliate programs, so they're generating some revenue that way. But what gets kind of strange is that these families of adware can actually be used to deploy random code on the endpoints that have uh, the software installed on them. They can run that code on the local machine, and they can take other types of malicious actions, uh, you know, including you know, harvesting user credentials if they wanted to. And what's interesting is one of the metrics that Checkpoint put out was that, you know, they, um, by their estimations, figure that 20% of, of enterprise organizations have at least one machine in their environment that has an installation of one of these fireball families of adware on it. So if I am a wily hacker out there in the world and I know that I can breach a adware provider who has some sort of interactive control with 250 million endpoints, that becomes very attractive to me. You also the fear of somebody who now sees how this was actually put together and just stands something out, up on their own yeah. to replicate this as well. Um, is also a fear that yeah, I think. Yeah, I think this is a flavor of third-party risk management, right? When you're looking at all the third parties that you interface with, you're probably not going to think of this, you know, advertising, you know, c company that you use to be one of your attack vectors, 
right? And in this case, it could potentially be used. Think about sort of the risk management angle to this, right? It's about you know third parties like adware providers are typically never managed from a risk angle. You know, so if an organization is working with a number of these providers, you know, these could be the entry points you know through this adware package into your network. And one of the reasons I think that they've gotten been able to get to that 250 million yeah. mark is because they've it's really yeah. spread out. Their way, their methods for mm -hmm. getting this out there. Yeah. So they've literally just inserted in in a bunch of little things yeah. that you know they're going to make sure that their user population uh, yeah. you know installs. So the danger really is is that you're getting this from what you consider legitimate places, legitimate apps, but have a nefarious purpose on the back end of them. This could be a very interesting kind of information tainting uh, kind of function also, where you know the efficacy and the integrity of the data that you are getting back from any kind of search query could potentially be modified, you know, without the user's awareness if they, you know, are, are falling victim to this. We all know that a lot of users um, at the basic level, their understanding of what the internet is, is basically their search engine, yeah. right? It's like, and so yeah. whatever their search engine is it's giving them back is, is what they consider gold. And yeah. like you said, if, you, if you're basically controlling that yeah. and you're controlling when they do searches for certain things, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, the, yeah. the sky's the limit for what they can actually do with this. Yeah, and for a novice user, this will be hard to detect, right? So the security awareness really needs to be, you know, upping the game in terms of, you know, educating our user base. Well, most, most of this stuff that you've got are prob yeah. is probably being detected as not non-malicious. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Right? So. Well, and really from, a, from an enterprise perspective, you know, the message really needs to be, you know, do not install unauthorized third-party applications of any kind, right. you know, unless they've first been vetted by your information security function. Think about you know what these freewares are doing in the background. There's not really nothing called free you know in the market. So as you're downloading this, think about the permissions that it's accessing. Think about you know all of the user agreements, which most of us don't read because it's pages long. But you actually see that you know those are the areas where you become sort of prey to such attacks. Basically, it comes down to a user being cautious about what they're actually installing on their devices. Manny, I saw you posted this link about PowerPoint being used as a medium for malware as well these days. This PowerPoint file now that is being delivered, you know, via, you know, uh, spamming campaigns, right? Um, it basically does not rely on the macros uh, JavaScript or VBA, which is the visual basic for apps. So the, the way that this one actually in, infects the user is that, again, like typical form, it's sent out via email, via email and there's a couple of different uh, uh, attachments, mm -hmm. the order.ppsx uh, or invoice ppsx. Uh, with a couple different uh, subject lines, purchase orders, confirmation of you know pur mm -hmm. purchase orders, the typical stuff that you see in in, in email campaigns, um, and then basically what happens is when this is delivered, when the user opens it, which we all know that users tend to do that, mm -hmm. they they would open it up, and what they will get is basically. A, a message on their screen with a hyperlink that says loading please wait mm -hmm. so what we've all been ta taught right yeah. is you know
to go over with your mouse, hover over the, the link, link yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and see where this is actually taking me, which I guess th that's gotta be your first kind of clue that, hey, I've, I'm, I think I'm opening a PowerPoint, yeah, but now I'm getting this that. message, right? So, but anyway, I think, you know, most people, yeah. their tendency is to move that mouse and do a mouse over to this, you know, to this link, this okay. hyperlink. Mm -hmm. the, the part about this one that became interesting was that, that the act of actually mousing over is what actually triggers the, this, uh, this infection to start. So that triggers the first part of it, which is to pull up a, a, a message on the, on the screen that you want to enable content. So it's similar to the macro thing, but this is different now. So and as soon as you enable the content, um, the, the security box that comes up that's asking you whether you want to uh, enable the content, the malware is now installed. So what ends up triggering is basically it's executing PowerShell in the background. The first thing that happens is that your this this enable or this running of PowerShell reaches out to a, a domain uh, ccn.nl um, and it picks up a, a PHP file um, and it takes that file, puts it into your temp folder, and then that file is actually um, executed using WScript. And that drops another file, 168.gop, into onto your box, <clears throat> and then from there, JavaScript executes certutil, um, and it decodes that file, the 168.gop. It decodes that file, um, and then creates another file in your temp folder, 484.exe, and that once they execute 484.exe it enables a, uh, an RDP session <clears throat> that they're able to use to connect to your machine. Wow. So obviously it's kind of, you know, it's, it's sophisticated. It ultimately allows RDP into a machine, which we all know is pretty serious. Um, but again, the, the real crux of this one is, is that the delivery method. There is any number of programmatic functions that are included in Office documents, PowerPoint, you know, Word, uh, what have you, uh, these are, you know, events uh, that can occur by opening a document, closing a document, um, you know, any number of things uh, that can be associated with running third-party code, executing scripts, um, launching secondary programs. Uh, so there really is quite a lot under the hood of your typical, you know, productivity application uh, to support, you know, things like automation and nifty visual effects that could be used to, you know, in a, in a malicious manner such as this. As a matter of fact, with this particular one, I, it was actually mentioned in uh, the article that if this comes up in, in your, in, so in your typical email program, you have your preview pane, this actually won't work in the preview pane. Mm -hmm. So it actually has to be, it actually has to be opened up. Um, but again, it's just that, that method of, you know, hey, we've taught everybody to do this mouse over thing. Correct. The fact that they're using, using that using yeah. that as the as the method is yeah. kind of ingenious. Yeah. This is what I consider one of the oldest tricks in the book, mm -hmm. right? With sending an email with "Here's your invoice," right. and then you using the oldest trick and then putting a new twist, twist on that yeah. on, on yeah. that old trick. More so. sophisticated now, you know. <laughs> right. A normal you know end user you know probably doesn't have a need in their operational day to day role to be running PowerShell scripts on their machine. So, you know, from a permissions management perspective, you know, putting additional logging on those types of administrative tools that are resident on desktops, you know, when you do start having, 
you know, user context processes start to reach out and try to execute those, you can at least get some alerting and possibly, you know, kind of break that, uh, that, that kill chain, if you will, um, by preventing execution of those scripts to frustrate these types of attacks. Having uh, user awareness, understanding about what things we should and shouldn't open up from people that we do and don't know, right? So continuing to be vigilant about, hey, do I know this person? Do I wanna open this up if I don't know who this is? Is this something that I was actually expecting to get, right? So all of the things that we've talked about on this show about being vigilant about things that we're getting in email. It's, it's almost sad to think that, you know, the user being that entry point is what is most common. And we could put in enough controls from a sort of security perspective at the network and the application level. But if your user, you know, who's legitimate, you know, in your organization is not aware of the implications of their role in this overall cybersecurity scheme, you know, we're always going to fall prey to this. The overall lesson in this story is, is that the, the hackers will always find new and ingenious ways uh, to get onto your box. So healthcare is a space that, you know, very interesting to look at in terms of security breaches today. We saw this uh, study that has been conducted by Poneman and Synopsys that looks into how connected medical device today pose a security threat. This report takes a view from both the healthcare organization as well as the device manufacturer and gathers their thoughts on you know, what they think in terms of you know, why security challenges within medical devices, what are some of the reasons that you know, attacks happen at this layer. To think that you know, medical devices have been around for a long time, right? So the fact that it's now being used, the reasons being as a connected medical device, you no longer you know, just have this medical device in vacuum sitting in there off from your network. You actually think about this medical device you know, taking data and sending reports so that the physician does not have to be there and monitor this device for that output. So to think that these medical devices that are being manufactured today, and as per this report, we see that both the healthcare delivery organizations as well as the medical device manufacturers acknowledge the fact that, you know, this is one of the areas where there is weakness in terms of security. So we are not really talking about connectivity into the network as much as we are talking about the device manufacturing itself in terms of what code it's running, what are the software flaws. And we've seen this time and again that you know these devices are legacy equipments among most hospitals, right? So these are 15 years or so old. Mm -hmm. You know they are expensive, so it's not going to be replaced easily. And you know these are devices that are now being connected, and you know these devices typically run older operating systems and you know, there's a lot of regulation around the device itself so you might hear manufacturers say things like hey but this can only run on XP but XP is no longer supported right. but you know will a hospital really take this equipment out today no because it is a life-saving you know feature and we are seeing that you know as per this report too the need for medical devices to be built with security upfront today is more relevant than ever Yes, we still have to deal with the legacy devices that are in place with, with these updated, outdated patches and you know, outdated systems and software in itself. But we also need to look at what is being built from here on out definitely needs to have security in mind. Right. Yeah, and, and one of the things that really struck out when I, when I read this as well was, A, the, the, the numbers that the, the figures that they were giving during the story were alarming, yeah. very alarming, yeah. right? And, and it looked like they, this report, the, 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 the research team that did this report, mm -hmm. um, did go out to quite a number of people to, yep. to pull this data back. 
And so some of the numbers that I saw in terms of, you know, when they were surveyed about how many, you know, how many people thought that there were problems with, you know, with medical devices yeah. was, you know, again, a staggering number. Staggering yeah. number. Um, and you know that really stuck out to me on this report. I mm -hmm. couldn't believe how many people were working in that industry that believe, truly yeah. believed that this was a problem. Yeah. And then to your point about you know going forward trying to fix this, mm -hmm. unfortunately, what I saw as well in this report was they're suffering from the same thing that many companies are suffering from today, which is that they don't have, there's not enough people, mm -hmm. there's not enough money okay. to put into security, so security ends up being put on the back burner for the, some of this stuff. A typical physician or, a, you know, the person that is working in the medical field sort of views this medical device, you know, from a simplicity and a flexibility and functionality angle. And security typically is viewed as a roadblock, right? So yeah. they don't want to make this more difficult. They want this device to function. But the challenges are in the attack landscape that we are seeing, you know, one of these medical devices that are connected, you know, could not only cause the patient, you know, his or her life, but it's also beyond that to think about how all of this fits into a healthcare ecosystem today, where it's one of the verticals that is most uh, attractive to the hacker because of the volume of information that they have. Right. So, Mike, what do you think? Well, I think it's an interesting study in applied risk management um, because ultimately the medical professional, their mission in life is to facilitate patient care, and to preserve life. And if you were to grab a defibrillator and try to, you know, inter inter intervene with somebody having a heart attack and it wouldn't charge up because it's updating, you know, that's a situation that can't happen because um, that's going to impact that patient's life. So it's, it's really interesting because as, as an industry, they have a very unique consideration where people's lives actually, you know, hang in the balance. Um, and so doing, taking that into account and ensuring that mission objective while at the same time ensuring that you're meeting compliance mandates and general security around, you know, patient information, you know, really complicates the task. And, you know, we've seen this time and again where, you know, organizations have said, why me, right? Why would somebody want to attack a hospital? Why a medical device, you know? But we've seen that, you know, in the recent years, healthcare has been the most victim in terms of ransomware attacks. Why attack this hospital and, you know, hold the data, right? But because this is a commoditized industry today, hacking is not, you know, with a personal, you know, agenda. It is a business. So they are right. going to come after anywhere where they have data. And there's really not much of a morality in terms of, you know, who they will hack and when they'll hack, right? So. right. The devices that they're using today also have um, SPI data within, mm -hmm. within these devices. So if there's data there that has any kind of value, mm -hmm. They're going to go after it. They don't. They don't really care that it's in a medical device. Mm -hmm. What they're interested in is just the data. Yeah. Unfortunately, with these devices, the problem that you have is when you have an attacker go after one of these devices, the 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 cause af from going after these devices might be some sort of failure of mm -hmm. the device itself. Right. You know, and that's just that's just sort of. Uh, a, a side note for mm -hmm. them, you know, it's like, yeah. oh yeah, I crashed a device, but what, yeah. <laughs> what device? See, this connected right? medical device is not what they're probably after, right? They're using that as an entry point to get into the hospital's network and, you know, get to more and more data. And you know, if today we look at it, you know, the moment you start 
filling out those forms where you're putting in your insurance information, right. your credit card in case your you know insurance is not paying for it fully, your right. personal information. That's quite a bit of data right there. Like that is the first entry point for any of us into the healthcare ecosystem. And from then on, everything else is more and more data about you. There's a number of different ways attackers can monetize, you know, this as a target. Um, you know, whether it's holding people's lives in jeopardy through ransomware and preventing medical people from taking the action they need to save lives, to identity fraud, to insurance fraud, to, you know, narcotic sales. Right, um, you know, obtaining you know prescription narcotics fraudulently and then selling them on the street. You know, there's any number of ways to to generate revenue stream from this, and ultimately, you know, the attackers are a profit center, and anyone on the defensive side is a cost center. And those mentalities, um, you know, associated with each of those functions become readily apparent in kind of the way these problems are approached. Manny, is there a, a specific example in terms of a type of medical device that you think would be more popular in terms of attack patterns? One thing that I did run across, you know, when I when when I was reading this story and it kind of clicked because it was very related mm -hmm. to this story, was a, st a very recent story that came out about a, a group that decided to look at pacemakers today. Wow. So as you all know, yeah. pacemakers are pretty, you know, uh, um, important mm -hmm. if you're, you know, if you're obviously somebody who has one, mm -hmm. um, you certainly want to have that continue to work. Yes. <laughs> and they decided to run some vulnerability tests against these pacemakers. Mm -hmm. And what they found was staggering. It, they found something over 2,000 vulnerabilities. Wow. Um, against these pacemakers, which, as we all you know, just yeah. talked about, these fall into the category of, of devices that are running old OSs, yeah. right? And 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 technology that now is you know very you know hackable, mm -hmm. um, and you know those numbers. I mean, the they didn't really they didn't obviously get into specifics what they found, mm -hmm. but just those numbers, two thousand, you know, and even if. You know, some of these things might be minor vulnerabilities. You have to think that out of over two two thousand, yeah. there has to be some in there that are probably pretty. Least <laughs> yeah. Right. Really, the way today to try to protect against some some of this stuff um, is to try to make sure that there's regulations around when you manufacture one of these devices, how much security has to be built into it before it can actually be released to the public. I think what we're seeing here is there's just so many different vectors, there's so many different devices out there that can be compromised, um, and they're always going to find new and ingenious ways to compromise those, those devices. Security awareness is a often talked about topic, user being the weakest link. So amongst all of the stories that we've seen on ThreatTrack today, security awareness does play an important role. It's important for us to focus on our users and make sure they're well ahead in terms of the security curve, you know, rather than being behind. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.